Last night at dinner, my just recently turned 75-year-old father-in-law was commenting to us that they had visited a church recently, which was an interesting experience, and then they've gone through some changes at their own church, uh, moving to a different style of music where there's not enough stomping and clapping, he said. <laughs> How's this morning so far, Tom? All right. All right. Uh, a little church family news, um, just a couple things real quick. Um, if you didn't fill out the, uh, the back of the welcome card, that's an opportunity to express interest in Christmas under the stars, uh, different ways to be involved. I'm not sure if Sue said that or not, she probably did. Uh, if you didn't and uh, the baskets have already come around too late, no, you can still fill that out and give those to Mia this morning, give them to one of the ushers on the way out. Uh, Fred and Ginny Vergara, where are, where are Fred and Ginny this morning? Fred and Jenny, right there. So, uh, Fred and Jenny, um, not sitting next to each other this morning. <laughs> Do we want to, maybe we'll talk about that later. But Fred and Jenny have been around the congregation for decades. Uh, you guys are in your 50s, what, 50s, 80s. And Fred and Jenny do this thing. They sit somewhere different every Sunday morning and move around the congregation, move around the sanctuary so they can meet and interact with different people. Isn't that cool? I uh, want to say uh, goodbye with lots of love this morning to the Gleniacs, to AJ and his wife Beth, who's already moved to the Midwest to start a new job there. AJ, you back there? AJ, we, oh, Beth, you are, you're, you're here. Is this your last Sunday with us? We love you. We're going to miss you. Uh, Godspeed in the Midwest. Uh, the Nunes family is also moving uh, this week. That's what families do. They move away. Uh, so they're moving up to Oregon. Where are the Nunes family? Back there in the back. Say goodbye to the Nunes family on your, your way out after worship. Uh, we'll miss you. Uh, God bless you. Hope you uh, plug into a church up in Oregon soon and quickly. Did they bring that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the agreements. Uh, you must replace yourself before you leave. No. Jesus assumed that his disciples prayed. Jesus assumed that as a part of their daily rhythm and lives, his disciples, the people that he called to follow him, uh, were praying, that they prayed. Many of us grew up in homes where prayer was a regular part of the rhythm of our uh, family life, of our daily life. There would be a time of prayer uh, before each meal. God, thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies uh, often before bedtime, for many of us, a parent would pray a prayer. Some of, uh, some of us for whom went like this, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's not a great prayer to pray with kids uh, before they're going to sleep in the dark. I don't recommend it. It's got all kinds of problems theologically as well. We'll talk about that later. Don't do it. This morning, though, we're going to talk about and look at what Jesus taught his disciples about prayer and how Jesus taught them to pray. Uh, first, I want to remind you, uh, if you have been here recently, to tell uh, you, remind you about some of the things that we've talked about over the last five weeks. If you're new with us this morning, to tell you about some of those things. This is week six in a series of messages called The Way of Jesus, during which we're talking about the way in which Jesus taught his followers to live, how he instructed them to live and how he said they could live in or experience the kingdom of God or a kingdom-oriented life. 
uh, here and now in this life today, not off in the distance, but here and now today. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near. He said the kingdom of God is here. He said the kingdom of God is available to us. The kingdom of God is in you or in us, and it is among us, Jesus said. He wanted his disciples now, today, to experience that kingdom. Jesus didn't come only, as we have said in recent weeks, to die in order that our sins might be forgiven through his atoning death on our behalf on a cross, though that was certainly a part of it and the big or biggest part of it. But he also came teaching his disciples how to live in this life, in these bodies today. And finally, Jesus called people and he calls us to be his disciples, which has become a very religious word, but all it means is to be his followers, his students, his apprentices, people who learn from him how to do things that they had not previously been able to do on their own or to become the kind of people who mirrored the lives of their master, their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi. And all of this is good news. Let's say that together. Good news. What is possible through Jesus' teaching and Jesus' modeling or example and by the grace of God and the Spirit of God is good news. And now, uh, with these things in mind, let's, uh, let's pray before we get into the scriptures. Pray with me. God, we ask that you would be our teacher, that we would learn from your word, that, we'll be, that we would be attentive uh, to the things that Jesus said to his disciples and that are recorded in the Gospels. By them and through them, shape us, refine us, reform us, renew us into the image and likeness of Jesus, your beloved Son. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way deviate from your word, may they not even be heard. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. In the parallel account of, uh, in Luke's gospel to the passage that we're about to read in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' disciples specifically ask Jesus there in Luke to teach them to pray just as John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray they wanted their teacher to teach them now in Matthew's gospel Jesus the way Matthew arranges his gospel has taught his disciples or is teaching his disciples about uh, how to not be show-offs or hypocrites in the way they go about doing good religious deeds or their religious practices or their spiritual disciplines that he will subsequently speak about. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 1 of chapter 6, Be careful not to practice your righteousness or your good acts or your spiritual disciplines in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then Jesus talks about giving to the needy right after that, which we talked about last week. And next week we'll talk about what Jesus says after the passage we're going to read in a moment, that of fasting. But here, where we pick up the scriptures now, Jesus is talking about the practice of daily prayer. Listen closely, this is the word of God. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And Jesus begins with how not to pray. Do not be like the religious hypocrites, the actors, the pretenders, the show-offs. They love, they just love 
to draw attention to themselves whenever they can with their propensity for prayer and their knowledge of prayer and the ways that they pray in all sorts of places so that all kinds of people will be able to see them and hear them and applaud them. They are praying for others and not to God, Jesus says. They are performing rather than speaking to an audience of one. And so while they may impress other people, they are not, Jesus says, impressing God. But there is a better way, Jesus says, a better way for your spirit and a better way for your soul. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room. And the Greek word here used for room refers not to a closet or to a bedroom, but specifically to a storeroom where one might find or keep treasures if one had one, which scholars think may not be an accidental allusion to the treasures a person experiences and the rewards, Jesus says, of prayer or praying. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your unseen Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then Jesus offers a second warning or guidance about prayer, countering another common abuse of prayer among his audience then and maybe also now. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father already knows. He knows. Do not be like them. They, in other words, this other group of people, the pagans, and you might think of other people, even Christians today, who pray with repetitive, repetitive, and empty, seeking to impress words. They ramble on and on. Their words are empty. They ring hollow. And still they go on and on. But more words do not get you heard, Jesus said. Let's say that together. More words do not get you heard. And so Jesus says, so that your Father in heaven might hear your prayers and in some way reward you, find a private place. Find a quiet place. Find an alone place. Free of distractions. Free of things that will get you inappropriate attention. As Jesus himself often did. And there pray to God. Keep your words there simple. Speak from the heart. Pray with thought or thoughtfulness and intention. Mean what you say. And Jesus continued. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It is 53 words. Just 53 words. And most of us know those words by heart. We have them memorized. But do we pray them? Or do we just babble them? Do we mean them? In Luke's gospel, one of Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach his disciples how to pray. And Jesus replied to him, when you pray, say 
these certain words. But here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, this is how you should pray, which in no way restricted Jesus' disciples from praying only with these certain specific words, but rather Jesus was, it seems, giving them a model for prayer or an example of how to pray. Most of us have grown up understanding these words of Jesus as the Lord's Prayer, though it might be better to call them the Lord's Disciples' Prayer or the Prayer of Jesus' Disciples. Because such was Jesus' intention that his disciples or his apprentices would learn to pray in this way. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus' own prayer, is found in John 17. But here is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. What if Jesus intended these words not to be packaged, but to be personalized by each of us regularly? I want us to consider that this morning as we remember that these words really also serve today as they have for centuries as the universal creed of all Christians everywhere. It is the one thing that all Christians everywhere say across denominations, Catholic and Protestant, across cultures, across contexts, across countries, across centuries. There is weight that unifies us more in these words than any other words that we have. I'd like us to consider this possibility as we unpack them more deeply into their meaning together over these next few minutes. Okay, to begin. Our Father in heaven. Jesus used the Aramaic word for Father, which was Abba which might best be translated into English, as some of you know, as daddy. With exactly the sort of intimacy that the word daddy conveys. The term was an affectionate one used by little children for their father, but also sometimes used by adults in speaking with respect and familiarity to an older man. We may imagine in our heads a father with a capital F, who is formal and dignified and aloof and far off in heaven. Though actually the word heaven is plural in Greek and the idea is the heavens or the airs or the space, not just way up there, but around us and near. Our Father in heaven. Jesus wants us to understand God as authoritative, sure, but also as a loving parent who is near, who is attentive, who is tender, who laughs and most of all, who loves. Jesus almost always refers to God as my father, or the father, or on occasion, your father. But here and only here, Jesus refers to God as our father, as he's teaching his disciples to pray, thus seemingly inviting his disciples into his own special relationship with God, or calling his disciples to see and understand that God is not so much our God and Father individually, but rather we are a family in God's household. Or possibly Jesus intends both. With this new opening for prayer, Jesus invites his disciples, including us, into an intimate and personal and unified and together relationship with God 
and God's family. Our Father in heaven. And then next, hallowed be your name. What a strange word that we never use apart from this reference. And Jewish thought a person's name represented themselves more than it does for us in our culture, in our context, in our language. A person's name and that person were equivalent, synonymous. Moreover, good and faithful Jews and now, now and then have refrained from saying out loud the name of God itself because it was held to be far too revered or too holy to even speak as God is holy to be spoken by mere mortals. And so God was referred to by the words Hashem, the name in Hebrew. And this is Jesus' way of teaching his disciples that though God is intimate and personal and close and loving, teaching them to revere God's name and God himself, that the praise of God is always to be on a person's lips, first and foremost. Jesus teaches his disciples to begin their prayers with words of praise and honor for God. And the passive tense of the verb hallowed teaches us that we cannot make God's name great or sacred or holy or revered on our own. Only God can do that. It already is. Our job is to get on board with that. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These first two lines are complementary. In traditional Hebrew literary fashion, they are two different ways of saying the same thing. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. God's kingdom comes when God's will is done. God's kingdom is where and when his effective will is carried out. It is lived out. It is demonstrated. It is exhibited. It is lived. It is done. And God's will is done in the realm of heaven. And Jesus' disciples ask in prayer that God's will will also be done in the realm of earth. Bring that about, God, and make me a part of that. Bring about your kingdom. May what you desire and what you will be carried out in my life and in the world. And there in these words, both the recognition that it is God who brings about his kingdom. And we get to participate in that. We do not build God's kingdom. We cannot bring it into existence, at least not on our own. God does that, though by his grace he invites us into that and gives us a role, which we acknowledge when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And while continuing to acknowledge our dependence on God and God's grace, this line represents a shift in this prayer from God to humanity. The first part of Jesus' model for prayer could be said to be focused on loving God. And the second on loving one's neighbors and oneself. The first part of Jesus' prayer is about loving God. The second part is about loving our neighbors and ourselves. Which ought to ring a bell for us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Jesus instructs his disciples to ask God for bread for us. And that us is ourselves, it is me, it is Shannon, but it is also the larger family into which we have been invited. 
And more than that, it is also the worldwide body of Christ. And more than that, it might also be, and why wouldn't it also be, all people on earth. Give to all of us bread, God. Give to all of us bread. And while Jesus has just declared two chapters earlier in Matthew's gospel that man does not live by bread alone, but also by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that is true. There is no reason to think that Jesus is not thinking and speaking here of real, tangible, concrete, physical, normal bread, rye bread, whole wheat bread, unleavened bread, whatever bread, just like the bread that Jesus fed to 5,000 hungry men plus women and children who were hungry. The image or the memory that certainly would have come to Jesus' disciples and those who were listening to him would have been in Jesus' mind and him wanting to convey to others the bread called manna that God provided each morning for the Jews during their 40 years in the wilderness as part of God's ongoing and reliable providence for his people. During that journey, to their salvation. Give us bread each day. Jesus' prayer was not for, a br- for bread for a week. Jesus' prayer was not that, he would, that God would give to his disciples a bakery, but for daily providence for God, enough for each day that we might continue to live by faith. And with these words... And with the words next, forgive us our debts, we acknowledge our sin and our indebtedness to God in his mercy. We ask again for the mercy God has promised and given to us, in us, to us, and through Jesus Christ. And we express, not just an ask, but we express our ongoing dependence on God for our ongoing outstanding debt that we incur. And there's more. When we also pray, as we also have forgiven our debtors, we acknowledge in that often unheard phrase that God has invited us into a kingdom or a reality in which our sins are forgiven, but also where forgiveness is always and necessarily reciprocal. When we pray these words of what we call the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded that God only forgives people who know and understand the need of all people to be forgiven. God only forgives people who know and understand the need of all people to be forgiven. And so when we pray these words, we are also saying or declaring that we desire and intend to become like God in God's desire and intention to forgive others. We do not want or expect to only be forgiven ourselves, but also to become and to be forgiving people as our Father in heaven forgives and has forgiven us. It is risky business To pray the Lord's Prayer if one has no intention of forgiving the people who have trespassed and sinned against you. Forgive us our debts, God, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, who have sinned against us, who are indebted to us. 
And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And again, you remember Jesus had just recently been in the wilderness being tempted by the evil one. A necessary test as Jesus identified with humanity and fought back against the devil. Though something nevertheless that Jesus acknowledged was dangerous and which he desired that all people would be spared from. We are all continually subjected to various and many temptations of numerous sorts that lure us away from God, that lure us away from loving and healthy relationships with others, that lure us away from our own well-being. We are all continually subject to such temptations. Jesus instructs his disciples to ask our Abba to deliver us from such things and to deliver us from the evil one himself. And all scholars agree, and if you have a a Bible with notes in it, you'll see the little asterisk and the note below it. All scholars agree that where Jesus, that this is where Jesus' prayer originally ended, with the ominous word evil, or the evil one. It was only later that scribes added the more tolerable, softer, well-polished doxology with which we're all familiar. For thine or for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, forever and ever. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with that very appropriate doxology or ending. We would do well, though, to remember the sober realism with which Jesus actually ended his prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. And now what do we do with all of this? Well, we pray it. We pray it word for word and or we pray it as a model. In Jesus' time, good and faithful Jews, including Jesus himself, certainly would pause three times each day for prayer. We would do well to learn from their practice, his practice, as we seek to live or to walk in the way of Jesus. And this doesn't have to take a long time. I had in my mind as a young person that good Christians would spend 30 minutes or an hour or 45 minutes or at least 10 or 15 minutes in solemn prayer every morning. That was simply my understanding. But the words with which Jesus taught his disciples to pray take less than 60 seconds to speak. And as Jesus said, he was not requiring or even asking people to spend long periods of time in prayer each day, though there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Most of us would do well to have any sort of dedicated, head-bowed time in prayer each day. We often say, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for that, but I don't know how regularly we actually look to our Abba in heaven and speak directly to him. But to such a life and to such a rhythm, at least daily, Jesus calls us. Doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be fancy, doesn't have to be complicated. But this was his life, this was his rhythm. To such he calls us. And we do so for our own benefit as well as for the glory of God and the well-being of those around us and the whole world. Richard Foster has written, prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. Do we believe that? Has that been our experience? 
Or in the words of G.K. Chesterton, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It, is found, it has been found difficult and left untried. Henry Nouwen wrote, prayer, when we are faithful to it and practice it at regular times, slowly leads us to an experience of rest and opens us to the active presence of God. So to such, God invites us. It is a part of God's invitation to us through Jesus to life in his kingdom. Jesus assumed that his disciples prayed regularly. For Jesus, and so he hoped for his followers and his apprentices also, prayer would be for them as natural and as regular as breathing and just as life-giving and just as necessary. And so as part of our pursuit of the way of Jesus, I want to encourage us to begin today to pray in some of the ways and the words with the words or the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and to do so every day alone or with others at least once per day, if not more often, and not because we have to, but because we get to and we know now that we can. Take two minutes and acknowledge God as your Abba. Praise God in some way. Ask God to bring about his kingdom around you or in you or through you and to supply you with just what you need for today and this moment. And ask God to forgive your sin. Ask God to lead you not into temptation. Ask God to empower you or enable you to put a catalyst within you to forgive other people. As reminders of what we talked about this morning and as prompts for us to begin to do this each day uh, this week and as examples of ways to pray as Jesus taught his disciples, on your pew this morning are these little cards and hopefully at the center of every pew there are enough for everyone on your pew. If not, uh, pass some to the pew in front of you or behind you. Uh, I encourage you to use this as a help. On one side is a paraphrase from Eugene Peterson of these verses from his book, The Message. On the other side is a paraphrase of these words from Dallas Willard from his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Use these two versions or paraphrases of Jesus' words in addition to what we've talked about this morning and the actual words out of Matthew's Gospel as prompts, as helps, as you go along in prayer. And do that for a minute or two each day, once, twice, three times over the course of your day. Allow the rhythms of Jesus, the way of Jesus, to become your way, our way. And according to Jesus' promise, as we do, his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. We're going to take about two minutes of silence right now for you to pray individually through the words that Jesus used to teach his disciples to pray. And then together, because Jesus uses the word our and in, envisions a collective, I will close this and we will speak together the traditional words that we use. Let's pray.
Help us, God, to live and to walk in the way of Jesus and so to experience your kingdom and your presence and your power and your grace. Help us to pray as Jesus taught and modeled for his disciples to pray. Whether we are standing or sitting or kneeling, whether our eyes are open or closed, whether our heads are up or our heads are bowed, whether we are here or at home, in a private place or a public place, once a day, twice a day, many times throughout the day, shape the rhythm of our speech to you according to the way of Jesus. And so shape our hearts and our minds and our spirits as well. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, who taught his disciples to pray with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.